0: The
1: Welcome to the Tournament of Everything, a bracket-style show where we compare random things off Wikipedia to other equally random things off Wikipedia.
0: That is absolutely correct, Rob. And we do so by taking each one of those things and plugging them via needles and aluminum foil into a potato. And then we set that potato on a table, raise it up to the heavens in a lightning storm, and which one of those things turns into a frightening tuber-based Frankenstein creature will be the selection to move on to the next round of... The Ultimate Tournament of Everything.
1: You make baked potatoes such a strange way, I normally
0: just put them in the
1: microwave.
0: Ah, uh, nah, you gotta take the time with fine cuisine.
1: Anyway, I don't know how fine that cuisine would
0: be, but we should get into round one. We should, but not before, reminding all of our listeners that if you like what you hear today, please send us comments, like and subscribe, and you could even send us uh, you know, feedback and Interround round sound via Anchor FM. So, with that being said, let us waste no more time with our first round's sounds. Round one.
1: In round one, we have Christy McWilson against Pyrasta Omicronalis.
0: All right, uh, we've got... One of our favorite musicians versus one of our favorite entities. Uh, Let's see which one of these is going to come out as the favorite in this round of the Ultimate Tournament of Everything.
1: As we all know, Christy McWilson is an American singer and songwriter based in the Pacific Northwest. She's performed with the Dinette Set, the Pickets, as a solo artist, and with many other artists including Dave Alvin and the Young Fresh Fellows.
0: Yeah, she, you know, born into a musical family in Northern California, spent most of her formative years in Downey, California, both of her parents' musicians. Uh, She says she was close enough to Bakersfield to drive up and hear Merle Haggard once or twice, and definitely, utterly, completely influenced by the L.A. sound of the 1970s.
1: She first recorded in the early 1980s as a singer with the Dinette set, releasing an album and a few singles and compilation tracks in the first half of that decade, including Seed of Love, a standout on the 1984 Rhino female-focused new wave compilation, The Girls Can't Help It.
0: Hmm. Uh, played with a few bands, also did some solo work. Uh, following the disbanding of her band, The Pickets, uh, of which she was a forming, uh, founding member, um, She was approached with an offer to produce her first solo album, uh, which was eventually released and titled The Lucky One.
1: Now, a note there on the pickets. They disbanded, Wikipedia says, more out of sloth than acrimony. So they didn't not get along. They were just lazy.
0: One could say that they were disbanded. Um, Speaking of bands, one might frequently find beautiful bands of color upon the soft wings of a moth, which happens to be exactly what our other competitor is, Pyrosta omicronalis, uh, representing that heavy hidden family of moths. Let's see what we can learn about ya.
1: As we know, moths are drawn to the show like moths to a flame, and this moth is from that funky moth family, Crambidae as we all know it was. It was first described by a man named Snellen in 1880 and is found in Sumatra, where I'm sure hundreds of other moths also reside.
0: Indeed, indeed they do. Um, Boy, this uh, family uh, crambidae is cramped with uh, different versions of uh, moths here. Unfortunately, we don't know any more about it, and uh, I don't even have a picture there's a lot of moths in this game and this one just uh, doesn't seem to be uh, you know standing up to the bright light that is the ultimate tournament of everything
1: yeah not not even that not even comparing very well to Christy Mick Wilson she's definitely showing this moth how it's done because this moth can't even get more of a description we don't even know what color
0: it is that's right uh, and we know that Christy McWilson shines in the limelight, Uh, and I think that her presence here in this very first round of the Ultimate Tournament of Everything, a quick knockout and no different uh, than any of her other standout performances. I'm going to stamp it down right here, right now, for Christy McWilson.
1: I totally agree. That moth, while large in number as they tend to show up really well in the tournament, not beating Christy McWilson for this round of... (laughs)
0: The, the ultimate, ultimate. eternity <laughs> everything ultimate. Yeah go look her up she's got a whole long uh, discography played with a whole bunch of people uh, I'm sure she's absolutely wonderful and perhaps we've even heard of her before uh, but what you've never yet heard of is the amazing fantastic potentially catastrophic competition that is about to take place in round two. It's down, <initiatives> é- for round round time for
1: round two. In round two, we have Oakwood School in LA against the Great Tapestry of
0: Scotland. All right. All right. Uh, that tapestry obviously sounds pretty great. Oakwood School in LA. Uh, hey. I can't wait to uh, show up on the first day and learn about you. So, Rob, let's ring that school bell and jump in to the first period.
1: Oakwood School is a K-12 co-educational independent day school located in the San Fernando Valley region of L.A. The school consists of two campuses, the elementary school campus in Studio City and the secondary school campus in North Hollywood.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, so are we talking about some uh, some fancy Hollywood individuals? One of those uh, high schools that you might see depicted in some sort of teen film?
1: Yeah, probably. So the school was founded in 1951 by a small group of parents who were unhappy with the other schools available and wanted to create a school where artistic ideals and educational goals could be met with the utmost respect and support for students, and they have a lot of famous alumni listed.
0: They do. You know, the school, as you said, focuses on artistic ideals. Uh, It looks like they've got a number of artists that have come out of this, uh, including, uh, let's see here, Chris Pine, um, Moon Zappa. We've got Elizabeth McGovern and uh, Wolfgang Van Halen, just to name a few.
1: Just to name a few. They even had a princess on faculty, Sarah Culberson, Sierra Leonean princess didn't even know that was the thing literal royalty teaching at this school
0: my yes uh you know the the student body is like uh fabrics of of strands of fabric that uh you know weave together to form the tapestry that is a student body a school and a learning entity but a tapestry can be so much more than that including the great great tapestry of scotland our other competitor
1: Now, the Great Tapestry of Scotland is one of the world's largest community art projects, hand-stitched by a thousand people from across Scotland. It's made up of 160 linen panels and 300 miles of wool, which surprisingly is not nearly all the wool in Scotland.
0: No, it's not, but it is enough to stretch the entire length of Scotland. Uh, This tapestry is now on permanent display in its own purpose-built gallery, and there's a visitor center uh, in the town of Galashiels, in the heartland of the Scottish borders.
1: The tapestry itself tells the story of Scotland's history, heritage, and culture from the country's land formation millions of years ago right up until 2013 when the last panel was completed. So this is literally weaving the past and the present together.
0: That was beautiful, Rob. Thank you. Now, each of these beautiful panels took about 500 hours to sew. Uh, That is a really long time. The tapestry uh, ultimately measures 143 meters, 469 feet long. uh, Each panel being displayed individually in approximately chronological order.
1: Now the linen cotton union fabric used is made by Peter Grieg and Company. And the two-ply cruel wool is dyed and spun by Appletons
0: in England. Now, speaking of uh, <laughs> cruel two-ply, uh, you know, it makes me think of you know having to just get by with whatever they gave you in school. You know, uh, the, the the bathrooms were 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 what they were. The food was what it was, and you were never quite sure about that water fountain also known as a bubbler in some places. Um, But I'm guessing that this Oakwood School probably had pretty nice amenities.
1: Yeah, probably. You have a lot of money in that area, and you have a lot of really, really famous alumni who, when they were going there, were already children of famous people. So I, I bet they were not struggling for funding, resources, or even nice water bottle filler fountain things.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I did just branch out, do a quick Google search. Looks pretty nice. Looks pretty nice. But in my opinion, not quite as nice as that great tapestry of Scotland. Um, for for those of you who might uh, be interested in uh, the Outlander show uh, which takes place in Scotland. Uh, Outlander star Sam Heughan supported the opening iconic uh, Scotland exhibit for the Great Tapestry of Scotland by uh, contributing his reflections, photo, a signed copy of his Lands book, and a bottle of his own Sassanac whiskey.
1: Now, I think what's really going to you know cement it for me as this tapestry being the better one is that school was really for the few getting away from the many and this tapestry is really representative of the people of scotland so much so that there was a people's panel where visitors to the exhibition were encouraged to add stitches to it and it traveled with the tapestry until completed and then it was presented to scottish parliament where it currently sits
0: Well, that is just swell in my mind. Um, You know, you've got all sorts of things coming together, being stitched, knit, bound together to form one ultimate fantastic thing. And boom, once again, representing the very core of what it is that we do here. I think we are both in accord, moving on the great tapestry of Scotland to the next round of... The Ultimate Tournament of Everything.
1: I definitely think it's great. And I really hope they find... So there's a panel that was stolen and they haven't found it. So if you're listening to this episode and you have that panel, give it back.
0: Great Scott, return that great piece of Scotland. And let's return to our task at hand and proceed to round three. three. It's time for round three.
1: In round three, we have Arima against Robert Christo, a Bosnian-American footballer.
0: All right. uh, Another location versus another person with a specific vocation, in this case football. Uh, Let's see which one of these is going to take the W in this round.
1: Arima, also called Crine, was a town of ancient Cilicia on the coast east of Seleucia and Chalcidianum, Arima was noted in Greek mythology in a connection to Typhon and Arima, couch of Typhos.
0: Its site is tentatively located uh, near a place in Asiatic Turkey Um That's about all we know. Um, If Black Forest ham is good, Asiatic turkey sounds pretty good for a sandwich as well, I must say. Um, Let's jump over to another thing that kind of sounds like a delicious sandwich, Robert Christo.
1: Not to be confused with the Monte Cristo, which is a delicious breakfast concoction. Robert Christo, born May Fourteenth, 1993, is a Bosnian-American footballer who plays as forward for the St. Louis ambush of the Major Arena Soccer League. That might be Louis. I'm not sure.
0: Hmm. Um, no, I'm thinking, well, I guess we'll never know. No, really. Hang on.
1: It's, it's in St. Charles, Missouri. It's an indoor soccer team. It is St. Louis.
0: It is St. Louis, but I kind of like St. Louis as well. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with this Robert Christo, born in Bosnian Croat, uh, or born to Bosnian Croat parents in Bosnia and Herzegovina, uh, his family moved to the United States. Again, we just need to read during the Bosnian War. Uh, it it uh, states here that he's a practicing Catholic, uh, grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, Attended St. Louis University, where I'm sure he also practiced a lot of soccer.
1: He joined the USL Championship side North Carolina FC on January 23rd, 2019, and after the team moved to USL League One for the 2021 season, he resigned with the team. He then returned to his hometown of St. Louis, signing with the major arena soccer league, the St. Louis Ambush, which is an indoor arena soccer team.
0: Mm, excellent. Um, why is it that we have, I mean, resigned and resigned are spelled the same, aren't they? They are. You know, and that is, that, why do we do that to ourselves with this? The English language um, just doesn't seem to be a great idea. But it does seem like settling in a would be a pretty good idea. Uh, ancient Sicilia, you'd have to get a time machine. But uh, if it was noted in Greek mythology, it must have been great to mythic proportions. Would you not say?
1: Well, it would be mythic, so much so that Typhon was a monstrous serpentine giant and one of the deadliest creatures in Greek mythology. So one of the most deadly things the Greeks could make up existed here.
0: Do you think that's the namesake for typhoons, one of the biggest storms that you could possibly face? I don't know, but I don't see why not. Well, if you're fine with it being Typhoon and Typhoon, I don't know why you'd have any trouble with St. Louis being St. Louis. And I don't know why either of us would have any trouble moving on, really, either of these contestants. But we're going to have to pick one. So, Rob, I've got mine in mind, but I'm not going to tell you yet. Who are you choosing? I'm going to pick Robert Christo because right now I'm hungry. I figured you would, and I am figuring a little bit different. I like the ancient town. I want to learn more about it, and it's just one more reason for me to get a time machine. So, Rob, speaking of machines, I think we are at an impasse.
1: Yes, we are. Now, that's a word that is only spelled one way and pronounced several. So we must pick one of these as a winner. We can't take both of them, and I think the only fair way to do that is to go to this island, this place, Narima, find this giant monster, and fight with it. And whoever is living at the end of that
0: gets to decide the winner. Sounds good to me, because last weekend, I went over to that Scotland place, checked out that great tapestry, and then headed over to Loch Ness, where I made friends with a uh, pretty uh, pretty significant uh, sea creature. It's a fish, isn't it? Is it a fish? Uh, I'm not sure if uh, it can even constitute as a fish, but you could definitely use it as bait for a fish. Rob, I think I have a better idea. Why don't you just rev up your 10,000 machine, and uh, before we do so, we'll each pick a number. And whoever's closest, their selection will move on.
1: I think that's probably better. I did get this brand new 10,000 machine, so... What happens is I will rev up the machine. It will spit out a random number. Whichever one of us is closest is the winner. My number is going to be the year of Robert Christo's birth,
0: 1993. Um, I am going to use the first uh, two digits. No, the first and last digits of its GPS coordinates. I'm going to go with 3,652. Okay, I'm going to start the machine.
1: 5,653.
0: That makes you, Arima, Silica, Cilicia, either way, the champion of this round and proceeding to the next round of... <laughs> the <laughs> Ultimate Tournament of Everything.
1: Of course. It's always got to be the... the... picturesque place in Turkey.
0: Yeah. Now, just imagine... Um, you know, that picturesque place in Turkey in the next round, battling for its life, uh, trying to hold its ground, hold it down. But you can't hold us down. And we are elevating ourselves to the next round. Round four. Ah, my round four is ready.
1: In round four, we have Fabio Visone and Le brule Sous Argentin.
0: All right. Two excellent sounding competitors. Uh, Can't wait to check them out. Looks like a building versus uh, a building of a man. So let's see which one of these is going to stand tall into the next round. Fabio Vissone, not that Fabio,
1: was born November 26th, 1983, and is an Italian football player. Football, of course, meaning soccer.
0: That's right. Uh, he started his career at Campan- Campania, Campania Club, uh, Volenio of Series C1. Uh, he then played for Palmese in Series D, and uh, in January of 2005, he signed for ASG Nucarina.
1: However, in July of 2006, he signed a new contract with Samba... De- S- these words. Earning forty-six appearances and one goal, and currently, at least if this article is to be believed, plays with Foggia.
0: Foggia, um, you know, midfielder seems to be doing all right. Not a goal-scoring machine, but that's not what you need out of your midfielder. Uh, you know, you just kind of need them to to stay there, uh, hold down the fort. And uh, speaking of forts. I think we should jump over to our other contestant, the La bruille sous argenton uh, a village and former commune in the Deux-Severa department in western France.
1: It is located 18 kilometers or 11 freedom miles northeast of Briseur, and on January 1st, 2016, it was merged into the new commune Argentonais and became a delegated commune of Argentonais.
0: Yes, yeah, so uh, it is bordered by uh, France on all sides, um, which is definitely a, a, a fact. It's not, you know, it's it's somewhere near the uh, middle western side of it. Uh, it's got a few important landmarks. Its principal church uh, is the Elguise Notre Dame, uh, and uh, they also have a late Gothic style Château de. Abon Pinay, to the north of the village, which dates to the 15th century uh, and uh, has been listed as a historical monument since 1898.
1: I think I'm going to describe where I live not as being in Wisconsin, but as being surrounded by Wisconsin on all sides. I think that's probably, it's accurate. So meaning, meaning Whitehorn, its four towers remain mostly intact and it is a partially filled moat. That's always nice. In 2018, a crowdfunding project organized by startup D'Artagnans was started with the objective of restoring the medieval chateau to its formal splendor and installing stables, wood and stone workshops, a blacksmith's forge, and a medieval tavern and hostel.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really what it sounds like and not necessarily what it's called. They say chateau, but I mean, it's a castle. They got a picture right here. It looks like a not enormous, um, but castle, spires, towers, um, that kind of jagged, just missing a tooth looking uh, type of thing that goes around uh, the circular bits at the top of those towers. It's a castle. Uh, That's pretty cool. Um, But will it rain victorious? over our uh, good friend, the pretty good football player, Fabio Vassone?
1: I I think so, and here's why. Have you ever tried to kick a wall?
0: Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did it end
1: poorly? Not for the wall. Exactly, exactly. Not <laughs> for the wall. Not for the wall. So this <laughs> castle is my choice for this round.
0: Yeah, standing tall through history, standing tall through this round, and moving on to the next here in the Ultimate Tournament of Everything.
1: Absolutely. If you've ever gotten a chance to go visit a castle, I think if you visit this one, you can say you visited many just like it because I think they all look kind of the same.
0: Yeah, yeah. But again, not a castle. Chateau in Sous Argentan, and we're going to learn more about it when it inevitably shows up in this list of everything. But it's had its day. Let's move on to the next competitors in round five. Round five. Round five.
1: In round five, I have a competitor that we have been waiting for, waiting for four years, literal years, and that is Indian trademark law. Now, competing against Indian trademark law is William H. Pellet.
0: Okay, Um, Indian trademark law, that's going to be dense, that's going to be thick, Um, but pellets are often dense and thick, so let's see which one's constitution is going to be able to withstand the onslaught that is this round of the Ultimate Tournament of Everything.
1: Indian trademark law statutorily protects trademarks as per the Trademark Act of 1999, And also, under the common law remedy of passing off, I have no idea what that is, statutory protection of trademarks is administered by the Controller General of Patents, Designs, and Trademarks, a government agency that reports to the Department of Industrial Policy and Promotion under the Ministry of Commerce and Industry.
0: Not much clearer, um, but let's continue to read on uh the law of trademark deals with the mechanism of registration protection of trademark and the ultimate prevention of fraudulent trademarks uh it also provides for the rights acquired by registration of trademark modes transfers and assignment of those rights um and remedies available in the to the owner in case of infringements
1: now this trademark law has been in place since 1940, but it has not rested on its laurels because in 2017, new trademark rules came into existence. The intention is to simplify the whole trademark registration process and make it hassle-free and quick. Now, some of the features of the new rules are sound marks are made registerable, 3D marks are made registerable, e-filing is promoted, Provisions pertaining to well-known marks, separate fee structure for individuals and startups and small enterprises and others. So it sounds like we could even copyright this podcast.
0: Good golly. And perhaps that'd be a good idea. Um, But let's just, uh, you know... We're flying by the seat of our pants, throwing it out every single day. And uh, we're just kind of hoping for the best here. But uh, you mentioned good marks. And I've got to imagine that our other contestant must have gotten a bunch of good marks while he was in school. Mr. William W. Pellet, the American lawyer from New York, born in 1897, uh, went to Cornell University and uh, graduated there with a... With an LL bean? I'm not sure. That must be a law degree in 1901.
1: Now, William W. Pellet has answered a question that many of us have been asking since childhood, and that's where's Waldo? Now, Waldo is William W. Pellet's middle name. He is William Waldo Pellet. Now, he was elected to the New York State Assembly as a Republican, representing the New York County 10th District, served in the Assembly in 1919 and 1920. And he even served as Deputy Attorney General of New York in 1992.
0: 1922, actually. That's Um, correct.
1: Yep, 22.
0: Just a, a, a little bit of a difference there. But again, had he had that time machine that I now want so badly, he would have been able to do whatever he pleased. Uh, he was at one point a member of the law firm Lamer and Pellet, uh, assuming he was the namesake, uh, later joined the firm Pellet, Faye and Rubin. Again, if not his name, uh, definitely a coincidence. Uh, and by the time he retired, he had been practicing law in the Big Apple for over half a century.
1: He was a member of the Cornell Club, which, for those playing at home, is a club only available to those who have attended Cornell.
0: Mm. Um, that that makes sense, uh, I suppose.
1: Not a creative name, but yes, it, it makes sense. Now, the question is, would this lawyer... Be better than trademark law or would he understand the law too well where it wouldn't be competitive against
0: the lawyer? I think that it probably took several lawyers to uh, come up with this dense document that is Indian trademark law. Um, I don't think that any uh, single lawyer can stand up against the law itself. Um, You know, we we have all sorts of courtroom dramas that have borne out that fact. Uh, And so I think that, uh, you know, at the end of the trial, when the verdict comes out, we're going to find a ruling in favor of Indian trademark law. What say you, Rob?
1: I, I think I have to agree with that only because it has 45 classes of copyright and they cover everything from paints and varnishes to building materials Clothing and footwear, carpets and rugs, telecommunications, and even legal services. So you could even copyright the thing that allows you to copyright other things.
0: Well, uh, all those copyrights did not steer them copy wrong. And we're going to be moving them on to the next round of... The Ultimate Tournament of Everything.
1: It wasn't exciting, Most but definitely. it was more exciting than William W. Pellet.
0: You know, you don't want the law to be exciting. You just want it to be what? Just uh, consistent. And uh, what's just consistent is this tournament moving on to the next round. Round six. Make the turn around, the last curve. He comes, he comes around the last time, there you have it. There is your winner, round six.
1: In round six, we have J. Christopher Leach against Quadrin.
0: All right. Uh, We've got someone who's out there slicing and dicing on the ice. And we've also got Quadrin, the uh, Danish duo consisting of a singer and a producer. Uh, I'm sure they're high-flying good time as well. Uh, Let's just jump right in here and drop the puck on this round.
1: Jay Leach was born September 2nd, 1979, and he's an American former professional ice hockey player and currently the assistant coach of the home team, Mike, the Seattle Kraken of the NHL. He's former captain of the Albany Devils, which is a minor league team.
0: Yeah, uh, he's been in the league quite a while, drafted in the fifth round, 115th overall by the Phoenix Coyotes. Uh, He spent several years in minor leagues before signing as a free agent with the Boston Bruins in 2003, appearing in uh, his first two NHL games, uh, collecting no points and seven penalty minutes.
1: Not the side of the stat sheet you really want to be on. He later then signed as a free agent to the Tampa Bay Lightning, played, again, two games, and then later was traded to Anaheim. He then signed with New Jersey. He then was claimed by the Canadians. He's played lots of places, but never for very long and apparently not very well.
0: So, uh, you know, sometimes it's a little too slick on the ice and you got to get yourself to the booth. And that seems to be where he really hit his stride, uh, becoming an assistant coach, uh, in the uh, Deutsche Ice Hockey Liga in, I'm assuming, Germany, uh, helping the team win their sixth DEL championship. Uh, he was appointed to assistant coach for the Wilkes-Barre-Scranton Penguins, uh, an affiliate of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and uh, he was later named an interim head coach before being promoted to be head coach at Pittsburgh before settling to the position of associate head coach on a permanent basis. Now he departed the... <laughs>
1: He departed there after one season, eventually joined Providence Bruins as an assistant coach, was promoted. Then the Kraken announced that he would be assistant coach to Dave Haxtell for the Kraken's inaugural season. And he's been there ever since.
0: Right, yeah, just somebody who, you know, obviously knew what they wanted to do. Stuck to it uh, through adversity, through the ups and the downs, uh, and they just kept showing up every day and doing it, uh, making it an art, you might say. Speaking of art, let's jump over to our other contestant, that art music group known as Quadrant. Quadrant is a L.A.-based Danish duo consisting of
1: singer Coco O and musician-producer Robin Hannibal. The group considers their genre electronic soul music.
0: Indeed. Uh, They've got a self-titled debut album um, released in 2009. Paste magazine named Quadrant Best of What's Next in August 2010. And New York magazine named Quadrant's self-titled album number seven in their top 10 best of the year.
1: The name of the band refers to the multi-racial heritage of the band members from the term Quadroon. Both Hannibal and Coco O have one
0: biracial parent. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Quadroon's first professional project, released in 2009, collection of seven songs for the soundtrack uh, of the Hella Joof movie, uh, Hush Little Baby.
1: In 2011, they contributed the track... Samba de Varao, to the Red Hot organization's charitable album, Red Hot Plus Rio 2. The album, of course, is a follow-up to the 1996 Red Hot Plus Rio. Proceeds from sales were donated to raise awareness and money to fight HIV and AIDS and other related health and social issues.
0: Well, I love it when we've got two, you know, just such starkly contrasting competitors. And, And Rob, what's the opposite of Red Hot? Ice cold, Mike. Ice cold. Ice cold. Yes. And I think that Jay Leach must have been cold as ice. Not only because his feet were not that well insulated from the ice below him, but because, uh, you know, he was able to stand out there. He was a defenseman. They get hit a lot uh, left handed. So, you know, southpaw out there just swinging and gosh knows he got himself into probably a couple of tussles out there as uh, hockey players are wont to do
1: yeah looking at his stats and his playing time, it looks like he was brought on basically as an enforcer, and that is a position in the game that really is going away. The game is is now too fast and trying to get cleaner. so he really was kind of you know a little too late to that part of the league.
0: Mm, yeah um it per- perhaps it's just no longer the uh, the world of the the slammer the uh, the board jammer. Um, And and it's time to get, you know, just a little bit, a little bit softer and and get into that part of ourselves that likes to groove, likes to move. And I don't know what can make you do so more than the uh, Danish duo, the electronic soul music group quadrant. So I'm choosing them as my selection to move on to the next round of the ultimate tournament. I have a
1: soft spot in my heart for ice hockey, but I have to agree. Jay Leach is a guy who's an assistant coach who had a career, but it's not nearly as impressive as this Danish pop duo that has done very little.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, I tell you what, uh, if Jay Leach is able to get the uh, Kraken to a title, uh, you know, we'll come back and revisit it. But we've not got there yet, and Jay Leach has not gotten himself to the next round. Quadrant, you're moving on to the next round of... The ultimate tournament of everything. Oh yeah. So uh, hockey's got three periods, right? Correct. So we've got nine rounds, right? Indeed. So this game is like three hockey games put into one uh, compact sonic package, no?
1: Yeah, yeah, even with all the sounds of skating and
0: glass. Oh, it can't be contained, even to the degree where we can't keep ourselves from moving to the next round, round seven. Round seven. Round seven. Round seven.
1: Round seven. In round seven, we have the Rayad Hijab government against Talimarab, a village in the Duar district in Karnataka.
0: All righty, now, two very, shall we say, succinct articles. Um, This might be a quick knockout uh, for either one of these. Let's see which is going to get the fatal blow in before the bell. Rob, where should we start?
1: Yeah, quick knockout is correct because the Riyadh Hijab government was the fourth Syrian government formed during the presidency of Bashir al Assad, formed June 23rd, 2012, and then dissolved. Pretty quickly after August sixth, two thousand twelve, after Prime Minister Riyad Farid
0: Hijab defected. Uh, yes, that was when he was succeeded by Wal Nader al-Halqi. Correct. That that is correct. And Halki oh, is a yeah, Syrian yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: politician who was Prime Minister for
0: several years. Oh yes, of course. Um, Short-lived, uh, I would say. Uh, normally, governments no government lasts forever. None ever has yet up to now. But they do tend to last more than uh, three weeks. Yeah. Uh, two, they, two
1: weeks. No, you're, you're confusing June and July. Uh, yes, I yeah, am. Give, give them a solid six, I think. But yeah, not, not very long. Matter of fact, so not very long that the district in... India here has 320 households, and I guarantee all of those people have probably had things in their fridge longer than the entire government of Riyadh Hijib.
0: Well, um, you know, that's... Uh, that that could very well be. Um, I definitely can tell you that the majority of the people that live there have uh, been alive for longer than that government was. As um, the 2011 census uh, of this village in the Darwad district of Kamataka, India, um, indicated that there were 320 households in uh, this village with a total population of 1,806. And the detail here is phenomenal, consisting of three hundred twenty or 929 males, 877 females, and there were 224 children aged zero to six. But 99% of them, and depending on when you're listening to this, 100% of them are uh, more than two weeks old.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely better than I think that government. Now, that was a difficult time for syria although i'm struggling to think of a time in recent memory that hasn't been difficult for syria but i think the government might be some of that trouble
0: yeah um you know we're not talking about necessarily any people here people sure, great people great people people made up this government but uh, then they decided to dissolve it because apparently it wasn't working out uh you know what For them to decide, for them to do uh, what they're going to do, but uh, also the same true for us. And I think that what I'm going to do is uh, tag our good buddy here, Talimorab, as my selection to move on. Love uh, details about households, love a small village, um, and uh, not so keen on the short-lived governmental bodies.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Now, we all know that small villages from Iran tend to do really well. But now we also know that small villages from India do well as well.
0: Yeah. OK, so um, we know that basically you've got small village in Iran and then so we're starting to fill out kind of our, our template of, 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 you know, what's going to go where so we can make better predictions down the line. But we definitely know we've got small town in Iran, small town in Syria And somewhere below both of those is short-lived, failed governmental body. Um, So, hey, we're learning about ourselves as we learn about other things. Um, But that being said, and that uh, small town moving on, I think it's time that we move on to round eight. I say, would you by chance have any round eight? Round
1: eight! In round eight, we have the city of Penneham against... You heard it here first, Mike. The peppered moth
0: evolution: two moths, one show. Wow! Um, and now, I'm not going to hold any uh, hold anything back from you. This is no normal moth. This is going to be a a. Uh, a titan of the moth world that we're about to approach. I'm not going to spoil anything yet, but I am going to say that uh, the city of Panaham, pa- Panaham uh, is is really going to have to perhaps get lucky here. So let's go ahead and start there.
1: The city of Panaham, Panaham it, it's Australian, so I don't exactly know how to pronounce it. Formally, oh, it's Panaham. Oh, Payneham? Payneham. Panaham, okay. The city of Panaham. Paynham, okay. The city of Paynham, formerly the District Council of Stepney, was a local government area in South Australia from 1867
0: to 1997. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Became a municipal corporation on the 1st of October in 1945 as the corporate town of. uh, and gained city status as the city of Payneham in 1964 when the population officially exceeded 15,000. In
1: 1985, it covered an area of 7.1 square kilometers with a population of 16,502 as of the 1981 census. It had significant communities of both elderly residents and people from Italian backgrounds which is such a strange group of people to categorize.
0: No, but think of the oh, think of the uh, you know early bird specials you could get at delicious Italian restaurants. I mean, three o'clock spaghetti dinners for days. That sounds like heaven to me.
1: Yeah, it does. Now, in 1973, the Royal Commission into Local Government Areas had recommended that the Saint Peter's Council merge back into Paynham, but this was rejected at the time. However, pressure for smaller inner city municipalities to merge continued, and in 1997, it amalgamated with the city of Kensington and Norwood and the town of St. Peter's to form the now current city of Norwood, Paynham and St. Peter's. It's a long name, guys. Yeah. you got to pick one.
0: Yeah, this is something that uh, it starts as one thing. You know, it started as just a small little nugget of a town and it grew up into uh, a municipality, which was then into a city, which then divided and and et cetera. But what we see here is a process of progression, Uh, no different from our other competitor, the peppered moth and its evolution.
1: Now, the evolution of the peppered moth is a well, well-known and well-studied phenomenon that is actually in probably every biology textbook ever. It's an evolutionary instance of directional color change in the moth population as a consequence of air pollution during the Industrial Revolution, basically turning white moths black and making them, um, I don't know, blend in better with the now-polluted ash-covered trees in the forest.
0: Yeah. And it, this wasn't just, uh, you know, gray and now it's black. Uh, it actually looks like a beautiful, it used to look anyway, it's like a beautiful, uh, marbled pattern on its wings and across its back. Uh, it really is quite a, a, uh, a lovely and, uh, in the front quite hairy moth. Um, and it seems though that, you know, throughout time and as, uh, the environment in which it exists, changed, it, uh, changed as well. Um, yeah, it's very interesting uh, what we see here.
1: Yes, yeah, a very long article. So before the Industrial Revolution, the black form of the peppered moth was rare. The first black specimen actually collected before 1811. But then during the Industrial Revolution, the black moth became so much more common than the light-colored moth, so much so that at one point, 98% of species collect, or specimens collected were the dark-colored variant.
0: Indeed. Uh, there's you know also been uh, some criticism, some speculation of this concept, of this uh, creature even, uh, including from one Philip E. Johnson, co-founder of the creationist intelligent design movement, who said that, quote, the moths do not sit on tree trunks, that moths had to be glued to the trunks for pictures, and the experiments were fraudulent. And this moth was a scam. Uh, people were trying to use this to show, you know, the effect of evolution, the effect of environment and experience on entities themselves. Uh, and so this person seemed to have taken umbrage with that uh, and claimed that this creature was, in fact, not, uh, in fact.
1: <laughs> It was, in fact, not in fact. That's, <laughs> that's quite a way to put it. So there have been a lot of people who have actually conducted experiments with this exact thing to say, okay, will will there actually be a change in moth color based on predation or environment? And it, it kind of just makes sense, right? If you're a white moth in a dark forest full of black and gray trees, you're going to stick out. And the opposite's also true. If you're a dark moth... In a birch forest, you're going to stick out, too, making you easier to find for predators, mostly
0: birds. That's right. So one way or another, you're not going to be able to stick around for very long. Um, Although we do know that these moths have been around for quite a long time, doing what they do and changing as they will. Um, As does our other contestant, the small city of Painham. Uh, it, Too has gone through iterations, evolutions, and developments, uh, changing itself, uh, and I'm sure looking no more like it does in uh, like it did in 1867 upon its founding than uh, perhaps the uh, peppered moth did back at that time.
1: Yeah, this is kind of a tough one. So we have a city in Australia which might be fun to visit against kind of a titan of biology textbooks everywhere, and. Uh, I think that it shouldn't be this close, but it is, it
0: is this close. Uh, it, it is close, i got to say. City of Painham, I put you down right off the bat. Um, uh, but I hope I wasn't too much of a painham in your side for doing so. Uh, y- you definitely showed up. You put up a real good fight. But I don't think that you can uh, thwart the unceasing progress of evolution. And thus, I think I'm going to have to lay my vote down for the Peppered Moths evolution in this, the Ultimate Tournament of Everything.
1: I'll have to agree with you, and I would actually direct everyone to this article, and this will be linked in the show notes, just to read this because there's controversy here. There's criticisms. There's multiple experiments. There's back and forth. There's disagreement. It's really a page turner if ever something you scroll could be described as a page turner
0: too true uh if you want to read something about a moth that'll keep you on the edge of your seat this very well might be that um but hey you don't have to be on the edge of your seat anymore in this round because we do have a clear winner the moth and its evolution and so rob i believe that we should progress into the next round but before we do so I think we should take this opportunity to remind everybody that you're enjoying what you're hearing. And if you want to hear more, not only can you stick around for this last round, but you can tune in every single day. You can like, subscribe. You can send us uh, audio uh, comments. You can send us anything that you like and we'll be happy to receive it. That being said, Rob, what time is it? It's about time for round. Round
1: 9. In round 9, we have the list of federal judges appointed by Ulysses S. Grant against Anuve Hutt.
0: All right, we've got a list of old dudes with beards versus a place that sits uh, high above the clouds, um, staring down upon the world. Uh, Let's see which one of these two groups in ivory towers will come out victorious. Ulysses S. Grant was the
1: 18th president of the United States, and he appointed many, many judges. Lots of judges. So he appointed four Supreme Court justices, William Strong, Joseph Bradley, Ward Hunt, and Morrison Waite. Wow, that's a lot of judges. And way Uh, more people on the circuit courts, even more people on the district courts, and even appointed two people to specialty courts.
0: So, uh, yes, definitely. uh, the court system is definitely important. It's one third of our uh, governmental bodies, if you will, uh, and you gotta fill them up. Uh, it seems he was doing his darndest to do so. Um, let's see, what's the total here? Uh, 14. We're talking 46 judges into uh, the federal court system. That's quite a lot. ruled for four years, I believe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He was only president for eight uh, years.
0: Nope, nope. Nope.
1: We got two terms. Oh yeah. Two terms. There we go. Good for him. Hmm. <laughs> really any, anytime you can be president, it, it's a good for you. I, I don't, you know, there, there've only been 45 of them. So good for you. 46 now, but good, good for you. You're the, you're the president, right? Good job.
0: Yep. Yep. Uh, well you, you were, you're not anymore, but that's how it goes. Uh, so we thought, uh, you know, that's a lot of people. And uh, I really uh, I think probably there was a lot of important legislation that was put down there. Uh, but it's just uh, it's, it's ink to paper, you know, it's uh, legislation to laws. Uh, and it's really no different than just, say, putting uh, anything anywhere like a hut in the Swiss Alps, about two thousand seven hundred and thirty meters above sea level.
1: A Nuve Hut is a mountain hut in the Swiss Alps open for visitors. It can be reached from Val Ferret, which might be pronounced Ferret. The hut lies below the Grand Derry, 3,514 meters in height, on the south side of Mont Blanc Massif. Other summits close to the hut are Tour Noir, the Grand Louis, and Mount Delonte.
0: Awesome. So, I mean, it, it's a mountain hut that's open for visitors. Uh, I don't know how you're going to get up there, but if you do, I definitely recommend it. I'm sure it is lovely and scenic. Uh, apparently, this opened in 1926, so uh, I I would imagine they've kept it largely. You know, they they usually try in places like that to keep things as they were. Um, don't see any details about that though.
1: There is a lovely picture, though. You are definitely in the mountains. This hut is actually on the side of a mountain. There's, yet, yeah, there's yeah. just sheer cliff past it. So if you are walking in the dark out of this hut, I would watch your step.
0: Yeah, uh, that last one is indeed a doozy. Um, I can tell from this vantage point, though, that it's not a 1926 hut. It is, however, ridiculously scenic and beautiful, and... Um, And if you ever manage to get up there, I definitely recommend grabbing a shot glass or a bumper sticker because it's probably going to be tough to get back. Um, Golly, that is just a lovely spot. Um, I think I would rather be up there in what literally looks like depictions of heaven uh, versus in a room full of uh, such judgy people as this list contains.
1: Yeah. Who do you think you are judging me? Judge?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what What is this? <laughs>
1: why why are all these people going to learn about the things I did? That's not fair. What are you guys my
0: jury now? Oh, they are. Okay, <laughs> great. Yeah. What is this a courtroom? Oh, okay, yeah, I plead I plead guilty, Your Honor, and then they take you into uh, into the back in chains. Listen, um, I'm
1: not on trial here.
0: <laughs> oh, I am. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, that, that's right. That's why I'm here. Uh, yeah. So, looking at all of these names, uh, there's just isn't it interesting. You can scroll down a list of names, and it's it's just I've never heard of any of these people, but I feel like I've seen all of these names before.
1: Yeah. There are really no great names here. I mean, I guess Halmer Hall Emmons, that's probably a fun one. Uh, but, you know, these are all old guys who probably had beards and facial hair and had to sit really still for photos because that's how cameras worked back then. I don't think they're as exciting as a Nuvé Hut.
0: No, I think a nu- Nuvé Hut is uh, sitting on top of the world. Right now as far as i'm concerned and i uh hope that if you go there to check it out uh you let us know how it is via a blast comment or any other thing that you can blast being uh any audio that you want to send us to anchor fm they've got the means to do so uh you can check us out every single day uh and uh i think i'm going to check a new ve hut into the next round with my vote
1: yeah absolutely It's not even kind of particularly close. There's a lot of people here, but none of them could walk up this mountain to see this view and come back down and go, you know what?
0: I'm more important than this thing because you're not. All the more reason to go there. Rob, why don't you play that anthem for me? (laughs) The ultimate everything. (laughs) Yeah, it is lovely there. Yeah, Maybe maybe that's where we should uh, set up the ultimate tournament of everything Hall of Fame.
1: Oh, we should totally get a Hall
0: of Fame. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to wait till we get out of round one to really start establishing that. Uh, but if you want to tune in and uh, hear all of the competitors that go into it who will eventually end up in our Hall of Fame perhaps on the top of this beautiful mountain, you can tune in every single day. We've got Full-length episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We've got scouting reports, deep dives into one single contestant every single other day of the week. And uh, we're really excited to be here. Send us anything that you want. Like and subscribe. Rob, what do you got for us?
1: As always, it's fun learning about these random things, and hopefully you learn something as well. So if any of that's enjoyable, like you said, we're here literally all the time.
0: We're not going anywhere. So come with us into the next round of the ultimate tournament of everything.